we could stand here today and we could focus on the issues. We could focus on the problems. And everybody here, if we went around the room, could probably say, hey, here is some major difficulty that I've faced in my life. Here's something that was some big challenge that either I went through or I'm going through, you know, right now. And we could, we could focus on that stuff if we wanted to. And there's a time for that. And there's a place for being able to talk about those things. But today I want to focus our hearts and our minds and our energy into recognizing and embracing what our heart call is supposed to be during those moments and realize out of that what God is going to do. So we're going to read Psalm 61 and, and see what the Bible says about this, right? Because... I always tell you guys, it really doesn't matter what my opinion is about things. It really matters about what God's Word says about it. And, and when we find ourselves in God's Word, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what pastor or speaker or whatever that it is. It's, it always should be the Word of God, and, and it always should be it speaking for itself. Psalm 61, we're starting with the first verse. There's only eight verses in this, so we're going to read the whole thing. Here's what Psalm 61 says. I've got a CSB version in case you're wondering. God, hear my cry. Pay attention to my prayer. I call to you from the ends of the earth when my heart is without strength. Lead me to a rock that is high above me, for you've been a refuge for me, a strong tower in the face of the enemy. I will live in your tent forever and take refuge under the shelter of your wings. God, you've heard my vows. You've given a heritage to those who fear your name. Add days to the king's life. May his years span many generations. May he sit enthroned before God forever. Appoint faithful love and truth to guard him. Then I will continually sing of your name, fulfilling my vows day by day. And I want us to really focus in on verse 2 where it says, I call to you from the ends of the earth when my heart is without strength. Lead me to a rock that is high above me. Let me pray over the word. Then we'll kind of dive in and get ready then after that for communion. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your promises. Thank you for who you are that is without change. For you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, every one of us, no matter who we are, no matter how old we are, how young we are, where we are on the spectrum of life, we are going to face situations that make us feel like this psalmist did, where we're going to say, man, I felt like I was just surrounded and had no strength. And God, as the psalmist inspired to write this and, and for it to be included in the canon of Scripture, and God, we recognize the truth of what you will do for us. And so, God, I pray that you will help us to open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds today to receive from your word. God, I know that the words that I speak may be in one vein of thought in my mind, but your Holy Spirit can take and enlighten those into individuals' hearts about their situation that I can't see into. And so, God, I pray that you will help me to not be in the way but God, allow your word to do, go and accomplish the work that it is sent to do, which is to change us and to shape us and to mold us and inspire us and encourage us and help us to know who you are more and more. God, it's not about the speaker. It is about the Holy Spirit making these things alive in us. And so, God, I pray that you'll do that. In Jesus' name, 
And the church together said, amen, amen. So, you know, so the psalmist writes this, and, you know, so everybody knows the psalms are songs, right? You know, I, I love that from being a musician. Um, I've, always, uh, I've always enjoyed when you have different musicians, if they do so with, uh, with some level of skill, because I've seen some people take and try to put the psalms to song, and I, I was like, you know, Cheerio, you should sing that in your personal worship time. Um, (laughs) Right? You know, if that's that's uplifting you before God, he has great mercy and compassion. Um, But there are some that have done some really great job of putting some stuff, you know, to to music that would fit for us. Because, you know, you got to remember that it wouldn't be, you know, the music that we're accustomed to. It would have been in their style of music back then. And, and I, there's some of it that I listen to it, and I can't understand what they're saying, you know, if they're singing in Hebrew or something like that. But I enjoy it, and I try to pretend like I know what they're saying. I mean, you know, if y'all were listening, you wouldn't know any different if I said this is what I think they're saying anyway. So, you, you know, you, you wouldn't know it either. But it's, it's, it's good stuff when you think about that they were singing these things. They would come together and they would, you, you might have a psalmist be sitting there and he is singing this in a, an attitude of worship, but it also was carrying truth and it was carrying um, things that, that would be doctrine really even, that, that it lays out and explains who God is and what God will do. And most often for uh, most of the psalms, it was recognizing the reality of their current situation, but also turning around and reminding themselves of who God is. And then after they recognized the current situation, remind themselves of who God is, they would often remind themselves of what God had done. Because when we can step back and say, well, I, I, I see my current situation, because this is one of the problems that most people have with the faith community. A lot of the faith community wants to tell people to act like that something's not happening. They want them to, hey, you know, you just need to speak this, you know, like you're just going to positive speak your way through that thing. Look, people are hurting. People experience the, the, the pain of death. People experience the, the pain of damaged relationships. People experience all those things. Those are real. Telling people to pretend like that's not happening because God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, great. That's wonderful. He is. Those things are true. But the psalm, the psalms would represent people who would say, here is my problem. I recognize it. I admit it. I embrace that it. It's there. Now I'm going to say, who is God in the middle of that? And when I see who God is in the middle of that, oftentimes it reminds me, God has done something for me before that's consistent with who God is in this moment. And even though I may not be seeing Him doing it yet in this moment, I can reflect back, or I can see that God has done that in someone else. I'm going to come back to that here in just a moment. The, the psalmist wrote this, and, and he begins with this request to God. And the first thing he says is, hear my cry and pay attention to my prayer. I've used the example before. How many of you ever had a, had a little kid who's sitting in your lap? You know, probably your child. Got a little kid sitting in your lap, and they're trying to talk to you. And they may be trying to talk to you about stuff that doesn't make a lick of sense. Let's just be honest. You know, and they're just rattling and rambling, and they're going on, and you're trying to watch something else that's going on or whatever. Have you ever had a kid reach up and grab you by the face, turn you around, and go, listen to me, listen to me, right? You know, and you go, okay, okay, all right, you know. 
That's what the psalmist was, was doing in essence with, with all due respect. He was, he was looking and saying, God, I want to know that you're hearing me and I want to, to, to call you to listen to my prayer. I'm, I'm pouring this out because I believe in you and I want you to listen. It wasn't an accusation. It was just it was a cry. It was a plea. God, listen to me and, and what's going on right now in this moment. Hear me. If you've not picked up on the fact that he says, I call to you from the ends of the earth, it was an illustration, it was a, a, a phrase that they would understand in that time to mean, I feel like I'm as far away from you as I could be. God, I'm calling to you because I feel like that I can't feel you. I feel like that if, if the ends of the earth was to them, was... I'm as physically removed, spiritually removed as everything. I, I'm, I'm nowhere near your presence. And that's where I'm calling to you from. And I'm saying, please hear me. Maybe, maybe you would be able to sit here right now and say, I remember feeling like that at one point. I remember feeling like, God was nowhere near me. I, I, I had no idea. I know what the Bible says. I know that, that the Bible says he sticks closer than a brother, all that stuff. But I did not feel like God was within a million miles of me. And I was crying out in my prayer saying, God, I need you to hear me. That's where the psalmist was. So God, I'm calling to you from the ends of the earth. And then he, then he took it a step further and he said, I, I recognize that my heart doesn't have any courage left. I don't have any courage. I don't have, I can't muster up any more enthusiasm to, hey, you got to keep on keeping on, right? We got all these phrases that we like to tell people. Sometimes I think we think they're encouraging, you know. You just need to keep on keeping on, brother. Well, that sounds great. And it sounds great while we're at church, right? And it sounds great when you're on the phone with somebody. And you just need to keep on keeping on. And they go, amen, yeah, I need to do that. And they get off the phone and they're by themselves again. Keep on keeping on. You know, it sounded great. That's what the psalmist says. Hey, I recognize that there are times where my heart has no strength. I don't have anything in me to muster up to say I just need to keep on keeping on. I don't have anything left within me to be able to say, yeah, let's get her done. It's not there. He says, God, that's the condition that I'm in when my heart is in that moment. I'm mentally exhausted. I'm spiritually exhausted. I feel a million miles away from you. I got nothing left. Ironically, oftentimes that is when we, I believe, come into the most free contact with God. Because in the moments where that I have felt like that I still had some level of control, some ability to influence the situation, I still had a little more energy to keep trying all that stuff, I just didn't fully rely on God in those moments. I mean, think about it. If you get up in the morning, if your job's going generally okay, Nothing's torn up on the car. Wife or the husband is, is y'all getting along pretty well. You know, dog's doing right in the house, you know, scratches on the door if he wants to go out. All that stuff, you go outside, the sun's shining. It's so easy for us to go through that whole day not truly relying on God. 
Because we're just, we're just sitting there. We don't even think about or acknowledge God sometimes in those moments, right? Because we don't want to say it this way, but, oh, I didn't need him today. We go, oh, I, I, I would never say that. But sometimes that's how we act. That's how we walk through our lives. Everything's great. Everything's great. I'm good. It's awesome. It's fantastic. You know, we're, we're not necessarily giving God the praise for it and giving God the glory and pointing that out to people. But the moment something goes wrong, we're, we're sending the text message out. We're, we're sending it. We're getting on every social media platform we can find, whatever else. We're going, I need people to pray. Right? The day before when everything was great, we weren't sending everything going, I need everybody to rejoice. Because <laughs> I'm having a great day. Everything's wonderful. I need some people. Can I get some praisers up in the house? You know, we're not doing that, right? The psalmist said, hey, in those moments where I'm not doing that, God, lead me to a rock that's higher than I am. In other words, I, I, I want you to figure this out. He's not just saying, hey, I need to find high ground. That's not actually what this phrase was meaning. That's too, that's too low. He wasn't just saying, hey, I need to find a high spot. You know, hey, there's a flood coming through. You know, we got to get on the roof or whatever. He literally is saying, take me to a rock that I cannot even access because it's so high. And you put me on it. You know why? Because if it's something I can access, it's something my enemy can access. But if it's inaccessible to me, except that God places me there, then my enemy cannot get there either. That is what the psalmist is saying. He is saying, God, I am so destitute in this moment. I am so beat down in this moment that I need you to put me in a place that I could not access on my own, and therefore I know my enemy cannot access it when you put me there. It's the moment I've seen, you know, with my dad when I was growing up and and, and I was always hanging out with my dad. So every time that there was a funeral, every time there was someone that was, you know, bad, sick in the hospital, and my dad being a pastor, I was with him. And I have seen people that had such a faith that in that moment, when, when, when that person, that loved one of theirs, was going through the most traumatic things, and, and I have seen people have a sense of peace that... As the Bible says, a peace that passes all understanding. I couldn't explain it, but as a little kid, I could see it, and I could watch. I didn't even understand. I didn't have all the big words to use as, as a little kid, but I could see it and understand, this isn't right. Free phrase that. In spiritual terms, this isn't normal for people that don't know Christ. But these people did. And even though they hurt and even though they were suffering, somehow it was as if they had been picked up and put on that high place. They were experiencing it. They felt the pain, but they had this peace. They had this, and it was like nothing could touch that. They were experiencing the moment. It wasn't like they were going, this has no impact on me, but you could just sense it. There was something about them in that moment. Take me to a rock that I can't access. Put me in a place in this moment that I would not be able to attain on my own. Always leads me into New Testament Scripture where the Bible tells us to always be ready to give an account of the hope that is in us. And people read that Scripture and go, oh yeah, you know, so you need to be ready. And, and I, always, I always question you guys and tell you, why would someone ask you about the hope that's in you? 
They would only ask you about the hope that's in you if they see a situation where you in the normal should not be acting with the level of hope that you are. That will make them go, wait a minute. Why are you acting this way? Why do you have this peace? Why do you have this hope? Why do you have this? Because I recognize in this situation, in the normal, you should not be here. You should not emotionally be there. You should not mentally be in that place. Why do you have that hope? And then you're able to turn around and say, let me tell you about the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Let me tell you about the one who never leaves you nor forsake you. Let me tell you about the one who will take and place you on a rock that's higher than you can attain and that what your enemy can attain. Let me tell you about the one who said that you can walk through the waters and you won't be overwhelmed. You can go through the fire and you won't be burned. All of these things. Let me tell you about him. He's the only reason why that I can do this because I've been placed on this rock that is higher than I am. When you get set on that rock, you think about, you think about this. I was talking with somebody yesterday about uh, getting away and meditating. We were talking about out here how that, uh, you know, I, I, have this, I have this vision for this portion of the parking lot. If you hadn't noticed, you know, there's a, for those of you that are newer to our, our property, you know, there's a, there's a rock pulpit that's right down over that edge uh, because uh, the church that was here way back in the day, they, uh, they would have outdoor services there sometimes. And the scouts came over and helped us clean a bunch of that stuff up. And so we've got to put some benches and stuff back. But, but then the property runs down in the, you know, runs kind of to the power lines, runs down to the end of the parking lot. And, and I just have this vision. I have this vision of a trail that kind of just runs back through there and comes back around and some benches and things like that. So that when the, when the scouts were here cleaning up, there were leaves and everything then. You know, made it, made it way more fun, Right. <laughs> yeah, wait, made it way more fun. And, and so, you know, when you're sitting there and, and you go out and, and when there's not anybody around, and man, there's little birds tweeting and, and the, the leaves and the sun's shining through and the leaves are moving and there's a little breeze. And so, the, you know, the sun's just kind of sparkling through. And, and I said, man, I want to be able to come out there. I want people to be able to come up and, and just sit and enjoy the, that peacefulness and, and sit there in nature and, and Somebody was like, well, man, you're going to have, you know, kids that'll come up and they'll be doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and all that. And I'm going, man, if they don't do that in the parking lot, they're going to come do that anyway. I'd like to have some people, I don't care if they ever go to church here or not. If they go, hey, you know what, there's this church that lets you, you know, you can just come up on their property and go over in and sit and they got this little walkway, you know, through the woods and you can just kind of meditate. In Scripture, bring, bring you a little speaker now that you can bring some stuff with you and sit there and play some worship music and enjoy being in nature and, and experiencing God and seeing, you know, there's squirrels and everything else that are running around out there. Now, some of y'all need to be careful because squirrels like nuts. And, <laughs> and they may bring a pack going, man, I found the biggest nut I've ever seen in my life. We'll be set for three winners. You know, so you may have to be, you may have to be careful if you're out there. Let somebody know where you are so that they know if you don't show up, you know, they, they come look for you. If they find you up a tree strung up, you know, with a pack of squirrels, it'd be all right. When you get, when you get set on that rock, though, it's kind of like being up on that point where you're able to look out because out here without the leaves right now, you can kind of see houses down below us and all that stuff. It's kind of like you're up, you're up above it literally. But spiritually, it makes me kind of think about being set on that rock. Because when God puts you in that place that you couldn't have accessed on your own and that your enemy can't access either, 
you're able to look back down upon the things. They're still there and they're still around you, right? But you can look down on the fray. You can look down on the confusion. You can look down on the issues and you can find a moment of peace and you can find a moment of rest and you can find a moment where you can kind of clear your mind and connect with God. He's, he's put you on this rock. He's put you in that place of protection for the moment. The psalmist reminded himself also, he said, you know, God, you've been a refuge for me, a strong tower in the face of my enemy. So catch, catch that progression. So he says, God, hear my cry, hear my plea. I'm calling from you from a million miles away. I'm asking you to take and place me on a rock that's higher than I am. But I remember that you've been that tower. You've been that place of refuge for me in the past. So he started going into that circle of of. I've got this problem. I, I want to know that you're hearing me. I feel a million miles away. I need you to do something powerful. And I remember you've done it before. It's amazing how that if we really concentrate on that sometimes that we will talk ourselves into a, a spiritual blessing in the moment, if you will. We, will. we will get ourselves reminded of what God has done. Revelation 12.11, we're not, I'm not going to go there, but it's uh, Revelation 12.11 even makes mention of something. It's a verse you often hear used uh, when it starts talking about testimony. The Bible talks about those. It says that they will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. This is why I think it's important that we are willing to talk to one another. It's important why that, uh, as I was sharing with somebody yesterday, it's important when you see our Christ and community and connection thing on our website and all our stuff. It's not because we just wanted, you know, to have a really cool slogan so we could put three C's on something. That connection portion, when you move down to more of an individual level and you connect with a, brothers with brothers, we'll make sure I'm clear on something here, brothers connecting with brothers in Christ, sisters connecting with sisters in Christ, and you begin to share and you say, you know what, here is, here is something that I have struggled with, but also here's what God has done in my life. Your testimony the Bible says, he said there, he said, There's a, they will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It's amazing how that other people may be going through something that you have gone through. It's amazing how that someone may in the future go through. I can't tell you the number of times. Honestly, if you think about it, almost every preacher stands up and at some point uses some illustration out of somebody's life. I don't care if it's somebody historical, it's D.L. Moody or somebody else that they are pulling. You know what they're doing? They're giving that person's testimony. And you sit and you hear it and you listen to it. If you've not watched, uh, Michelle posted a, um, a thing. It's what they're talking about with the kids back there right now. I almost wanted to go back there with them and just say, hey, Namath, you could get up and speak or something. I'm, you know, I'm going to hang out with them. Um, they are talking about how, an illustration of, of David Livingston. That how you know he was a he was a missionary. He's in this foreign country. I, I'm going to ruin the whole thing for you. You just need to go watch the video though, because it's really cool when this guy tells it. I got excited on the way to church. I started tearing up in the car. I was like, "Do it again, Jesus!" You know, it was good. Anyway, so he's talking about he's in this he's in this foreign country, and and they've gotten word that. Uh, that the local tribe is coming with a chieftain and they are coming to kill him and his party, his missionary party. And he is writing, he's writing a letter 
uh, he's, you know, I guess in his journal, whatever, you know, about what's going on that night. And, and uh, you know, somebody that studies handwriting actually says you can tell in the early part of, of this journal entry, you can tell that he's afraid. Comparing to his other his other writings and comparing to this, they can tell by the nature of there, there's an angle to it that he's writing with that shows a nervous energy. And he's talking about that they are, you know, that they've heard this and that they're coming and said that they're going to knock him in the head, they're going to kill him. He had some very distinct stuff they were saying. But while he's writing, he starts, he starts encouraging himself. And he reminds himself that, that, that God is going to be faithful. And they said his writing starts standing up straight. As he's writing, his lettering starts coming up straight and all this. And he, and he says, he says that he, he believes God and he trusts and he says, therefore my fear is gone. And his whole writing has changed. Literally, the shape of his writing has changed. Years later, they had won this tribe to Christ and he's talking with this chieftain and he says, do you remember this specific time that you, know, that you guys were coming, we had heard you were coming and you were going to kill us? And the chieftain says, that is correct. We were. And he says, well, why did you not attack us that night? He said, we started to, but when we got there, there were 47, we counted, there were 47 warriors with, with swords standing around your camp. And we did not attack. A gentleman reached out to David Livingston and was telling him a story later and said, Hey, I heard you talk about, about that and you didn't mention the date. Was it this date and this year? And David Livingston says, actually, yes, it was. How do you know that? And he said, because, he said, we, you know, we had been supporting and praying for you. And he said, that night, God had put on the heart of one of the men of our church that we were to pray for you. He put out a call to the other men in the church, and 47 men came and spent the night in prayer praying for you that night. The psalmist reminded himself, God, you've done things. You've moved powerfully. You've done things in our... So when you hear a testimony like that, of something that, you know, disconnected stuff, and those things happen all over. They seem to happen around the rest of the world more than, than they happen here. I think it's because that we've lost the shock and awe effect of all the stuff that God can do in God's power. But... But when you see that and you hear that, man, it encourages you to go. So this guy's off in the middle of somewhere. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have any of this stuff. Somebody over here, God impresses it on their heart. This man takes and he, he, he you know, on this date, he makes a note of it in his journal. And they pray. And then God's doing something over here. And this chieftain, who doesn't know anything about what's going on with this, says, whoa, hey, here's what happened. Man, God is still looking out for you. When you hear the word of testimony, it encourages you because the Bible says God's not a respecter of persons. God doesn't want to move in somebody else's life or do something to help them through their life and then go, oh, I'm sorry about you. You know, you're, you're not quite as talented as they are. You're not as good looking. You're not whatever. No. God loves you and God desires. And so those, those testimonies encourage us. We remind ourselves what God has done, how God has seen us through, how God has sustained us. We cannot help but praise Him. 
There's a song, I like the end of it. It says, uh, it's, it's one of the Hosanna versions. And Hosanna in the highest. Let our king be lifted up, be lifted higher, higher. Man, that's what you think. Of. I think all the way back to Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and they're waving palm fronds and all that stuff. You think about the testimony of somebody. God could put 47 angels, you know, God could put 47 angels around, let them see, you know, these 47 warriors that were defending because somebody's praying halfway around the world. And you don't think that God cares and is concerned about what's going on in your life? You don't believe that God will take you and put you on a rock that is higher than you are, that lets you get above the fray, get above the problems, above those things, and that the enemy cannot access because he loves you. He cares for you. And when we think about that and we recognize that, then we can't help but say, God, be lifted higher, be exalted, be praised, because that is who he is. The psalmist wanted to dwell in God's presence. He said, I want you to protect me under your wings. The last thing I want to do is draw a comparison between verse 8 and verse 8, verse 8 and verse 5. How about that? Because verse 8 and verse 8 look exactly alike. <laughs> verse 5 and verse 8. You notice there's a statement in verse 5. He said, God, you have heard my vows. I want to challenge you to think about something for a moment because most of you, if you've been around church for more than about a minute... And you have because you've been here for a while today. So if you've been around church for more than a minute, you've probably at some point in your life made a vow to God. A lot of us try to bargain with God. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. really doesn't work that way, right? Because you don't really have anything to bargain with. Right? I mean, it's his life and he gave it to you. And you're going, God, I'll give you back what's yours if you give me what I want. <laughs> That's really what you're saying. And he's going, think about that. Just go back and think about it for a moment. You know, you know when you say, ah, go back and think. Come back and talk to me again when you realize that you don't have anything. Um, you're just giving back to me what's mine. He says, I, 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 I've made my vows. You've heard my vows. Here's the, the thing. The Bible also tells us that it's better to have never made a vow than to make a vow and break it. You need to stop and think back. This, is, this would be a great spiritual exercise for you this week. And even pray and ask, God, bring to my remembrance vows that I've made to you that I have said. Because, I mean, God doesn't take that stuff lightly. God makes a vow to you. He doesn't go, oh, I was kind of kidding. I was just, you know, I was having a really good day and I thought I'd promise you that. You know, but, but hey, we're back to a normal day and we're not really going to do that in your life. Right? Yeah, I know you found that in Scripture, but at the moment I was just trying to encourage those folks. You know, not really going to do that. Well, in the same way, we, oh, God, you know what? I'll, I'll do this. God, I'll serve you. God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. God, if you want me to. But when I was a kid, they always used to say, oh, I'll go to the, I'll go to the farthest region of the world. I'll go wherever in the world and be a missionary if you wanted. Well, if God's calling you to be a missionary, you better start packing a suitcase. If you made a vow, you better start. God, I made a vow. And if you're calling me, you don't get to go, hey, you know, let me take it back. Right? It's like chess. I didn't take my finger off the piece yet. It's not an official move till I take my finger off the piece. Not the way that works. Sorry. Psalmist said, God, you've heard my vows. And he says, and you've given a heritage to those that fear your name. But then in verse 8, he says, I will continually sing of your name fulfilling my vows. He reminded himself in this moment. Think, think about this progression he just went through. God, I'm asking you to hear my cry. 
because I feel a million miles away from you and like you're nowhere near me. But I want you to take and put me in a place that I can't access on my own and that my enemy can't access. God, I know I've made vows to you in the past and you've given me an amazing heritage because I love your name. And God, I will, I will continually sing of your name and I'll fulfill those vows. Man, he went from, God, I'm in a bad spot, need you to help me, to reminding himself, I'm going to sing about your praise, and I'm going to fulfill my vows. Why? Because he fully believes that, God, I've asked you to take and set me on this rock, and you're going to do it. Now I've moved past that, and I've moved over to remembering, I just need to keep praising. Lead me to the rock that's higher. What a wonderful combination. God will place us upon a high place above the cares and attacks of the world, and two, we are continually singing of his name while fulfilling our vows.